Section 5, Early Ministry, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. My little stock of money was exhausted. I remember that I gave the last sixpence I had in the world to a poor woman whose daughter lay dying. But within a week... I received a letter inviting me to the charge of a Methodist circuit in Lincolnshire, and from that moment my difficulties of that kind became much less serious. The Spalding people welcomed me as though I had been an angel from heaven, providing me with every earthly blessing within their ability, and proposing that I should stay with them forever. They wanted me to marry right away, offered to furnish me a house, provide me with a horse to enable me more readily to get about the country, and proposed other things that they thought would please me. With them I spent perhaps the happiest eighteen months of my life. Of course my horizon was much more limited in those days than it is now, and consequently required less to fill it. Although I was only 23 years of age, and Lincolnshire was one of the counties that had been most privileged with able Methodist preaching for half a century before, and I had to immediately follow in Spalding a somewhat renowned minister, God helped me very wonderfully to make myself at home and become a power amongst the people. I felt some nervousness when, on my first November Sunday, I was confronted by such a large congregation as greeted me. In the morning I had very little liberty, but good was done as I afterwards learned. In the afternoon we had a prayer, or after-meeting, at which one young woman wept bitterly. I urged her to come to the communion rail at night. She did so, and the Lord saved her. She afterwards sent me a letter thanking me for urging her to come out. In the evening I had great liberty, and fourteen men and women came to the communion rail, many, if not all, finding the Savior. On the Monday I preached there again. Four came forward, three of whom professed to find salvation. I exerted myself very much, felt very deeply, and prayed very earnestly over an old man who had been a backslider for seven years. He wept bitterly and prayed to the Lord to save him, if he could wash a heart as black as hell. By exerting myself so much, I made myself very ill and was confined to the house during the rest of the week. My host and hostess were very kind to me. The next Sunday I started from home rather unwell. I had to go to Donington some miles away in the morning and evening, and to Swineshead Bridge in the afternoon. But at night God helped me to preach in such a way that many came out, and fourteen names were taken of those who really seemed satisfactory. It was indeed a melting, moving time. I was kneeling, talking to a penitent, when somebody touched me on the shoulder and said, Here is a lady who has come to seek salvation. Her son came to hear you at Spalding, and was induced to seek the Savior, 
and now she has come to hear you and she wants salvation too the lord had mercy upon her and she went away rejoicing at swineshead bridge the very name gives some idea of the utterly rural character of the population i was to preach on three successive evenings in the hope of promoting a revival there many things seemed to be against the project but the lord was for us two people came out on monday evening and god saved them both this raised our faith and cheered our spirits especially as we knew that several more souls were in distress on the tuesday the congregation was better the news had spread that the lord was saving and that seldom fails to bring a crowd wherever it may be that evening the word was with power and six souls cried for mercy at the earnest solicitations of the people i decided to stay the remainder of the week and urged them to pray earnestly with the result that many more sought and found salvation and the little society was nearly doubled on the saturday just before i started home on the omnibus a plain unsophisticated christian came and said oh sir let me have hold of your hand when he had seized it between both of his with tears streaming down his face he said glory be to god that ever you came here my wife before her conversion was a cruel persecutor and a sharp thorn in my side she would go home from the prayer meeting before me and as full of the devil as possible she would oppose and revile me but now sir she is just the contrary and my house instead of being a little hell has become a little paradise this was only one of a number of cases in which husbands rejoiced over wives and wives over husbands for whom they had long prayed being saved i shall always remember with pleasure the week i spent at swineshead bridge because i prayed more and preached with more of the spirit of expectation and faith and then saw more success than in any previous week of my life i dwell upon it as perhaps the week which most effectually settled my conviction for ever that it was god's purpose by my using the simplest means to bring souls into liberty and to break into the cold and formal state of things to which his people only too readily settle down for the sake of readers who have never seen meetings such as the general for so many years conducted it seems at once necessary to explain what is meant by the terms seeking mercy or salvation the cries for mercy and above all the mercy seat or penitent form which appears so constantly in all reports of his work from the first beginnings of his cottage meetings as a lad in nottingham he always aimed at leading every sinner to repentance and he always required that repentance should be openly manifested by the penitent coming out in the presence of others to kneel before god to confess to him and to seek his pardon 
This is merely in accordance with the ancient customs practiced by the Jews in their temple, to which practice Jesus Christ so strikingly calls attention in his parable of the publican, who cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Psalms of David abound with just such cries for deliverance, and with declarations that God heard and answered all those who so cried to him in the anguish of their guilt. The general was never blind to the fact that open acts of contrition like this may be feigned or produced by a mere passing excitement, but having seen so much of the indifference with which men generally continue in sin, even when they admit their consciousness of guilt and danger, he always thought the risk of undue excitement or too hasty action comparatively small. The penitent form of the Salvation Army is simply a form or a row of seats immediately in front of the platform, at which all who wish to seek salvation are invited to kneel, as a public demonstration of their resolution to abandon their sins, and to live henceforth to please God. Those who kneel there are urged to pray for God's forgiveness, and when they believe that He does forgive them, to thank Him for doing so. Whilst kneeling there, they are spoken to by persons who, having passed through the same experience, can point out to them the evils and dangers they must henceforth avoid, and the first duties which a true repentance must demand of them. There are many cases, for example, in which the penitent is urged to give up at once some worldly habit or companionship, or to make confession of and restitution for some wrong done to others. An officer or soldier accompanies the penitent to his home or to his employer, should such a course appear likely to help him to effect any reconciliation or take any other step to which his conscience calls him. The names and addresses of all penitents are recorded, so that they may be afterwards visited and help to carry out the promises they have made to God. For convenience sake, in very large meetings, such as those the general himself held, where hundreds at a time come to the penitent form, a room called the registration room is used for the making of the necessary inquiries and records. In this room, those who decide to join the army have a small piece of ribbon of the army's colors at once attached to their coats. But this registration room must in no way be confused with an inquiry room, where seeking souls can go aside unseen. The general was always extremely opposed to the use of any plan other than that of the penitent form, lest there should be any distinction made between one class and another, or an easier path contrived for those who wish to avoid a bold avowal of Christ. And he always refused to allow any such use of the Bible in connection with penitence, as has been usual in inquiry rooms, where the people have been taught that if they only believed the words of some text, all would be well with them. 
the faith to which the general desired all who came to the penitent form to be led is not the mere belief of some statement, but that confidence in God's faithfulness to all his promises which brings peace to the soul. Nothing could be more unjust than the representation that, by the use of the penitent form, an attempt is made to work up excitement or emotion. Experience has proved everywhere that nothing tends so rapidly to allay the painful anxiety of a soul hesitating before the great decision as the opportunity to take at once and publicly a decisive step. We often sing, Only a step, only a step, why not take it now? Come, and thy sins confessing, thou shalt receive a blessing. Do not reject the mercy so freely offered thee. But the penitent form is no modern invention nor can it be claimed as the speciality of any set of religionists. Even heathen people in past ages have provided similar opportunities for those who felt a special need either to thank their God for blessings received or to seek his help in any specific case, to come forward in an open way and confess their wants, their confidence, or their gratitude at some altar or shrine. Shame upon us all that objection should ever be made to equally public avowals of penitence, of submission, of faith, or of devotion to the Savior of the world. The general, at any rate, never wavered in demanding the most speedy and decisive action of this kind, and he probably led more souls to the penitent form than any man who has ever lived. In Germany especially, it has frequently been objected that the soul which is compelled to take a certain course has in that very fact manifested a debased and partly destroyed condition, and that nothing can excuse the organization of methods of compulsion. With any such theory, one could not but have considerable sympathy were it not for the undeniable fact that almost all civilized people are perpetually under the extreme pressure of society around them, which is opposed to prayer or to any movement of the soul in that direction. To check and overcome that very palpable compulsion on the wrong side the most desperate action of God's servants in all ages has never been found strong enough. Hence, there has come about another sort of compulsion within the souls of all God's messengers. It could not but be more agreeable to flesh and blood if the minds of men could more easily be induced to turn from the things that are seen to those which are invisible. But this has never yet been the case. Hence, all who really hear God's voice cannot but become alarmed as to the manifest danger that his warnings may remain entirely unheeded. When once any soul is truly enlightened, it cannot but put forth every devisable effort to compel the attention of others. 
the army is only the complete organization of such efforts for permanent efficiency we may have had to use more extreme methods than many before us because unlike those who are the publicly recognized advocates of christ we have in the first instance no regular hearers at all and have generally only the ear of the people so long as we can retain it against a hundred competitions and yet to those who live near enough to notice it the exercise of force by means of church steeples and bells is far more violent all the year round than the utmost attack of the average corps upon some few occasions who complains of the compulsion of railway servants who by bell flag and whistle glaring announcements or in any other way urge desiring passengers to get into their train before it is too late wherever a true faith in the gospel exists the general's organization of compulsory plans for the salvation of souls will not only be approved but regarded as one of the great glories of his life the will you go of the army wherever its songs are heard has ever been more than a kindly invitation it has been an urging to which millions of undecided souls will forever owe their deliverance from the dilatory and hindering influences around them into an earnest start towards a heavenly life that is why the general taught so many millions to sing in their varied languages his own song o boundless salvation deep ocean of love o fullness of mercy christ brought from above the whole world redeeming so rich and so free now flowing for all men come roll over me my sins they are many their stains are so deep and bitter the tears of remorse that i weep but useless is weeping thou great crimson sea thy waters can cleanse me come roll over me my tempers are fitful my passions are strong they bind my poor soul and they force me to wrong beneath thy blessed billows deliverance i see o come mighty ocean and roll over me now tossed with temptation then haunted with fears my life has been joyless and useless for years i feel something better most surely would be if once thy pure waters would roll over me o ocean of mercy oft longing i've stood on the brink of thy wonderful life-giving flood once more i have reached this soul-cleansing sea i will not go back till it rolls over me the tide is now flowing i'm touching the wave i hear the loud call of the mighty to save my faith's growing bolder delivered i'll be i plunge neath the waters they roll over me and now hallelujah the rest of my days shall gladly be spent in promoting his praise who opened his bosom to pour out this sea of boundless salvation for you and for me end of section five recording by tom hirsch